1: Welcome to Tennis Channel Inside In, a podcast about the game you know and love, available on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mitch Michaels, as always from the Santa Monica studios, and we have a lot to recap with the 2023 US Open in the rearview. Journalist Amy Lundy, who writes for several publications, including Tennis Connected, and also hosts a podcast called Three with Joel Drucker and Gil Gross, has a lot to say about Novak Djokovic's 24th major title at Flushing Meadows. She explains how Noe was able to reinvent himself yet again, completing a year in which he was able to win three majors at the age of 36, and how his final match ultimately was decided against Neil Medvedev. Wendy also discusses Coco Goff's first major title at the U.S. Open, why she's so great and so good for the game, and what to expect on both tours going forward. And then I sit down with American tennis mainstay Shelby Rogers shelby rogers is on a little bit of an injury break has taken the time wisely to call some matches for tc she discusses how the progress on that injury is going what goals she hopes to accomplish what it was like playing in front of roger federer and the princess on center court at wimbledon and a lot of more insight including her love for the tampa bay lightning it's amy followed by shelby rogers on tennis channel inside in let's start the show Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Tennis Channel Inside In. We're on the Tennis Channel podcast. Mitch Michaels from the Santa Monica Studios recapping another U.S. Open, another major tennis season in the books, joined now by one of the leaders in the analytical data-driven community. She hosts three podcasts with Gil Gross and Joel Drucker. You can see her on a lot of publications, including Tennis Connected, where she put out some great content during the U.S. Open. Amy Lundy, welcome back to the podcast
0: mitch always a pleasure to be with you thank you
1: yeah this is good i had to get my resident you know big three now big one expert on here with Djokovic winning another major and there's a lot to dive into there uh starting with this i wanted to ask anyone that you know was actually there and you were you know there are a lot of days as we were talking about before we started and i know as a student of the game and as an expert in the field there are always new things and new challenges that come to mind and new observations What stood out to you, if you can just, you know, your initial reaction to that question, what stood out from being there that maybe you weren't expecting or you were surprised to see?
0: The number one thing that stood out to me was the heat. And the humidity. I've been to a lot of sporting events in my life. I've covered things in central Florida in the month of August, which is excruciatingly hot. And I have never been to something that had this level of swamp-like heat and humidity for such an extended period of time. And it wasn't at the very start of the tournament, but it picked up probably around the start of the second week and it just did not let up and it still hasn't let up it's still humid in our area but it's supposed to break tomorrow but how the players handled that and the strategy maybe some of the um more workhorse counterpuncher type players leaning into that strategy and trying to you know break the will and and take the legs of the players who maybe don't play in the heat and the humidity and the oppressive conditions quite as well
1: yeah that's a good one I mean you can look at it a couple different ways Uh, there's a lot of criticism of how certain things were handled decisions that were made maybe you know means that aren't there like air conditioning but it is a major and it's a fitness test especially on the men's side and you have to be ramping up for this run and it's kind of fascinating too because you can tie together both tournaments Amy right like if you gear up for these tournaments. If you peak at the right time, Djokovic is a great example, but even someone like Coco Goff or players that have had major success, this is the end goal. I know the season's not over and there's a lot of other tournaments, but you have to play your best this time of year. And it's easy to say that, but it's another thing to go out there and do it.
0: Oh, and Coco Goff. The tournament that she had was unforgettable and so well managed. I think back to her first round match against Laura Siegmund, and she dropped a set, and Laura was, you know, duly and rightly had qualified for the tournament for the main draw, and was playing at a very slow pace and Coco had to manage that and get through it and she made her feelings known to the chair umpire not in a a crazy or obnoxious way but just felt that she had to get that off her chest and then was able to win the match and when I think of everything that happened to her throughout the tournament all her matches you know the protester that that delayed her match for 45 minutes um It was just an incredible um, way to manage the conditions for Coco Golf.
1: Yeah, we can start with her, 19 years old, U.S. Open champ, and someone that we're expecting to be around for a long time, still had to go out there and win that first major because there's this pressure that comes with being a prodigy that she knows better than anyone. Being around in a seasoned vet at 19 is a remarkable feat in and of itself, but she went the distance. She overcame adversity in the final itself, It is a testament to, I think, I would say positivity, but also just staying in the fight because there's going to be adversity in a tennis match, especially when you're on the grandest stage. Didn't have her best first set, but reset, stayed in it, waited for an opening and found one. I think of all the things and of all the technical side of her game that we can break down, it's that ability to not let the moment be too big and know that there is going to be an opportunity to get back into the match that really sets her apart from her peers and, you know, it sets her on a path for greatness.
0: It was what she did to really change her game and change her forehand was a theme, I think, for this tournament because Novak is the master of tweaking his game and making changes. And the two winners, the two champions of this tournament were people who were willing to change. Mm. And, you know, she started putting air under her forehand and, and, hitting a different type of shot and you know she hit her backhand awesome and and hard as as she always does but she gave herself more margin on the forehand and against a player like Sabalenka that was just a brilliant strategy plus her foot speed her defense her movement and she knew that eventually she would frustrate a player like Sabalenka and it was a master game plan.
1: It really was and it has to be something. I know Sabalenka had a, a rough one in the second and third sets, but it's something when that player gets that extra ball back that 99% of the tour you're you're putting away, but there's that 1% that's extending the point and letting some doubt creep into you. She's just so mature for her age and she's so balanced and I know there's a lot of, you know, who gets credit and who should. I mean, obviously she deserves the most credit cuz she's the one out there doing it, but it does take a village in this in this state. She's so grounded you can tell by how she was brought up the coaches she brought on pe- high quality individuals themselves and just her team that she was prepared to handle this moment and you know the speech was was phenomenal too i would agree with uh, i would agree with one of my co-workers here john Wortham. i don't really know many coco golf haters i don't know if there's anyone out there maybe a few but i haven't seen them. she's got a pretty high approval rating
0: oh and her <laughs> approval is just going to blow up after winning this tournament, the way she handled herself with so much grace. And the interesting thing is when the protester interrupted her match and glued himself to the floor, that made national news outside of the world of sports. Mm -hmm. So she's going to start to become a household name. And it's a great name with a good ring to it. So now people who don't even follow tennis are starting to understand coco golf and who that is and then she finished it up by winning the tournament uh i think her marketability is just going to go sky high
1: and having been a seasoned pro only at 19 is going to help her weather the storm because unless you're i mean the very very best all time there's going to be ups and downs there's going to be waves we saw that with someone like ben shelton this year where there's going to be highs there's going to be lows she's able to manage that and i think it's you know another thing that goes without saying for people like us but only one winner each week so She's able to regroup, handle the losses, and shine brightly. It's, uh, it's cool to see. It's something that's good for the sport, and it caps a major year where, you know, look, there's been a lot of quote-unquote, you know, fluke champions or people that have come out of nowhere. You look at the four ladies that won majors this year, and I'd even throw Vandersova in there because she came along strong at the end of this year. These were pretty elite major champions. I think we can look at 2023 as crowning some of the best in the game.
0: Absolutely. And keep in mind, just just to take you back to the thing you mentioned about her coaches and the coaching changes that she made, and and all credit to Brad Gilbert, Uh, but remember there were several moments in the tournament where she waved them off, Mm. including the final, and said, you know, when she was in trouble in the first set, and said, I need to just think and figure this out on my own. That's going to make her very popular um she has a track record she was as John Wertheim said it wasn't a matter of if it was a matter of when so she was on the cusp and her trajectory was headed in that direction anyway mm-hmm. so this you're right this is great for the game
1: yeah it certainly was there's not much more to say uh, just to see where this goes at 19 and just getting better you know Iga's still going to be around Sabalenka had that unbelievable consistency making the semis every year and you have a lot of depth. I, I would hearken it with this, Amy. I think that there is depth at the top, and there's you know a group of six to maybe ten. Obviously, there's some on the outside, but players like Muhova, who looked like a top ten player at the end of the year, got to another major semi. I think we're starting to see that depth at the top slowly, slowly come to be. It's a hard act to follow with the Williams sisters and everything that's gone through, but we're starting to actually see depth at the top of the WTA.
0: Absolutely. I think it's ideal because we're starting to build rivalries among a group of elite players. The randomization is less now, and we're starting to coalesce around a group of probably eight to 10 players who are just a level above, especially in terms of serve and return. So this is going to help build rivalries. It will help build excitement when any of these eight to ten players play each other and it'll just improve the uh, fun and excitement of the women's game
1: certainly will uh there's a lot of unpredictability except for maybe egon clay i'm not going to say there's unpredictability there that'd be the (laughs) one that would shock me the person that dethrones her that's going to be a tough task but We'll see. I, I did want to mention because you brought this up, you're firmly in the camp though, that the Sablanca thing wasn't wasn't a widget widget racket smash.
0: Oh, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I I need to do a little bit more checking. Um, because I do know the the of the guys who produced the Netflix series. So I want to figure out if that was their camera okay. or not. Um, but then it could have been a Photoshop. Who knows? Either way, Mitch, the bottom line for me is that it is fine to react that way. And, and it's human. Mm-hmm. It's human nature. Um, who hasn't, you know, thrown a pillow or smashed a racket or, or done something in a in a moment of frustration? These players have to yeah. have an outlet.
1: Yeah, 100%. Um, that's a natural reaction. If it wasn't, you um, know, I'm not commenting. I don't have any inside intel, but if it wasn't something staged that I'm not really sure I, I feel good about it getting out. Like that's, you know, I still think the locker room in all sports should be a sanctity that uh, there's things, especially, you know, we talk about team sports, there's stuff we shouldn't see on the outside. So that's my old man pet peeve thing there. Um, but that, that said, I mean, it, it goes back to one of the guys you cover frequently, you know, Roger Federer, his ability to shake off losses, like the story about him having like a party a gathering after 2019 Wimbledon, I wouldn't be able to get out of bed for like two months. And he's just (laughs) smoozing with guests. So that's why there's only one Roger, I guess.
0: He got better (laughs) as he got older about that. He really became like an elder statesman who was able to let this stuff roll off his back. Although he would tell you it still does keep him up at night or Mm -hmm. bother him. But it's funny, leading into the closing arguments of this tournament, there were some things circulated on social media from Roger that had been from a decade earlier. And he wasn't always so saintly or, right. you know, he he said a few things that, um, like I think he called one of Novak's shots a lucky shot <laughs> after a loss. Yeah. Um, but again, these players are human beings right and Mm -hmm. we have to give them that leeway to to be a human being
1: we do post press conference after a loss probably not the most mental clarity going on so that's where i (laughs) give everyone a pass um last thing on the women before we move on it was good despite the uh the brutal loss at the end to see madison keys back in the mix wanted to talk about her we've always talked about the upside of her game still think it's in that top five or six range when she's on The four has been the issue. She got better there. It was a tough one. But looking at that match against Sablanca, I don't think she fully gave it away. I do think Sablanca took a large portion of that.
0: That match could have gone either way. I think she's really settled in with Fretangelo coaching her. And I, I still think she has a ton of upside her ground strokes are on par with anyone in women's tennis right now. It, it, you could argue even in men's tennis. Um, I think she'll settle in and she'll probably look to pick apart all her matches, see what she did well, see what was working for her, see when to change direction, when to approach, and uh, come out with a lot of positivity going forward.
1: Another impressive run by Madison Keys. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. More with Tennis Channel Insight and with Amy Lundy here on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Well, let's get to the men's event. It's another major title for Novak Djokovic, number 24. He wins his fourth U.S. Open, and uh, there's a lot to discuss, and he's just extending his margin. He's just resetting what we define as being great, but 36 years old, where we weren't even sure how long his career would be. If he would even get to this point in the game and he's winning three majors again in a calendar year, I just keep coming back to he redefines his game. He reinvents himself time and time again, and he's widening the gap somehow with the field.
0: And that one loss could have really gone either way, couldn't Mm -hmm. it? Um, He's incredible. He's an inspiration, the way he plays. And like we alluded to before, here's a guy who he didn't have the serve that he had or that he has now early in his career. He didn't have the physical and nutritional practices that he now has. This guy will tweak and tweak and tweak and change, and it's an open-mindedness. So let's look at his opponent. Um, Now here's a guy who's taken a Medvedev, who's taken a deep return position, okay, and has his style of play and tries to play that style the best of his ability. But it's only gotten him one slam so far, and, The question would be, is he willing to change? Is he willing to tweak his game? Because I think the greats, the big three, have shown that they are willing to evolve, change Mm -hmm. a grip, change a serve, change something. And uh, that's what makes them so great.
1: Yeah, I I agree with that. But also he changes it and he's the best at it. So that's a pretty, pretty (laughs) rarefied quality. No, I mean, I, the other thing in this is, tactically, he's just money every time, too. Not only does he have all these gifts, but the mental game, as you said, he pushes the right buttons every single time. Serving and volleying, it's easy to say from the outside, Medvedev plays back, serve and volley. The effect, the efficiency that he does it on is remarkable. He had a couple half volleys when there were tense times in that moment. From the deuce court, every slider serve was perfect. He's at the net, and Medvedev's helpless, we can get into Medvedev maybe being a little stubborn and certain things that got him to this point, though. So it's hard to be too critical. But that second set, Amy, was an hour and forty-four minutes. I mean, that's like longer than some motion pictures that are currently in theaters. <laughs>
0: um, yeah, like like Barbie. Um, when you take confidence and you add it with athletic ability, it's an incredible thing. Djokovic was 20 of 22 on serve and volley. That's 91%, if my math is right. That is stunning. Most people, most players on the ATP tour could not achieve that if you told them to go out and serve and volley 22 times, right? So there's also been a commitment and a discipline to practice these skills and to then implement them when the pressure is on.
1: Yeah, it's uh, what what can't you say about this guy? At a point, there's just we're running out of superlatives, and it's not slowing down. It's we had this discussion two years ago when we first did one of these things that at 34 he's better than 24. Is that a thing? Well, 36 and 26 is even crazier. And I might talk myself into it because he's just so smart out there, and he has a better serve, and he has just total command of the court. It's just good to see the human side of him as well. He understands also what he needs to do, how to ramp up. And as we saw in the semifinal match, he knows uh, he's still at the top and he's not afraid to let these young boys know.
0: I've also been really impressed with his motivation because he already broke the record and Nadal is injured right now and his status is unknown. So people wondered if this guy was going to be motivated enough to come out and give his all at this tournament. And it wasn't really even close. I mean, the motivation was incredible. And, um, at 36, you know, he's still Mm -hmm. the best in the world.
1: Yeah. The motivation I think really is Carlos Alcaraz. It's now Ben Shelton is another one that's in there and some other young players that are trying to come up and he's like, I'm still at the top. And you know, the, Everyone's talked about the celebration that he did with the, with Ben, you know, hanging up the phone. And look, we can all kind of as sports fans agree that the content was great. I don't think there was anything malicious by it. It's competitive out there. If you were a 23-time, you know, going on 24 major champion, you'd probably be a little perturbed that you're not the talk of the town. That's just a natural reaction. And also as a general sports fan, I'd mind everybody out there. I'd remind them that if you have your own celebration, someone's going to do that when they beat you. That's just how sports <laughs> works.
0: For a long time, I have been a big fan of the basketball player Dikembe Matumbo, who whenever he blocked a shot, you know, waved his finger, not in my house, yeah. and he would get mocked, mm-hmm, Mitch, sometimes. Mm-hmm, yeah. You know, I said this on my other podcast, I asked my 13-year-old son, did you like what Novak did? And his answer was, he liked both what Ben Shelton was doing and what Novak was doing. Mm-hmm. He thought it was great, had no problem with it. So... Yeah. I think I think it's funny, and I think it's great.
1: It gets heated out there. We we forget that. It's super competitive. It's competition in tennis at the ultimate level. And, look, that might be the b- biggest rain endorsement of Ben Shelton's entire run, that he invoked that reaction out of Novak Djokovic, because he's probably not doing that to someone he doesn't see as at least somewhat of a threat. So, I, I mean, I'm curious to see where the Ben Shelton run goes. It's still wild to me that this guy peaks in both hardcore grand slams after such a dismal summer, I mean, spring, summer, into into fall now, but in big matches, he is money and he has a lot of gifts that could give a lot of people problems for the next decade or so.
0: I think it's really cool that he's kind of brought his brand of college tennis, and, you know, as Joel pointed out on my podcast, Joel Drucker, um, there was coaching allowed in college, and now there's coaching allowed, so he's made a really seamless transition And I I'd love to see more players do that. I think Shelton is super marketable, great smile, great serve, tricky player, super athlete. um, And things are looking up for both Shelton and American tennis.
1: Yeah. He was the one that carried the mantle. There were some disappointing uh, performances in American tennis um, throughout the major, but Shelton carrying it and carrying it strong. So we'll see where it goes In the pecking order there, I I did want your thoughts, Amy, on Daniil Medvedev because the final is going to leave a bad taste in his mouth and maybe the viewing public. But I thought that match against Alcaraz was some of the best Tennessee—I would go out and say it's the best match he's ever played. And I just love him in this game, in this spot, being in the mix. It's good to see him finally getting one over on Alcaraz but also being in the forefront because the game, the personality, the unorthodox approach to everything is just special regardless of him— unfortunately for him not winning the major
0: he this is one of my favorite topics to talk about because he's really interesting to me as a player he's this tall lanky guy who doesn't play with a ton of power he's mr redirect he does not go to the net despite his height much (laughs) and he has a really unorthodox sort of attitude and way of being you know we saw him give it to the new york fans they gave it right back to him um he's a super interesting player I just want to see him change his game, Mitch. I want to see him mess around with the return, the far back return position. And I do want to see somebody with that kind of height work on some set plays like they have in Mm -hmm. in soccer. Set pieces Mm -hmm. where he comes in and approaches and finishes.
1: Do you think that'll happen, though? I mean, (laughs) have you seen this guy? It's like the Batman Dark Knight. Do you know this guy?
0: (laughs) (laughs) You know, a really amazing coach, a guy who used to coach CeCe Bellis, once said to me, if you stick to the way that you enjoy playing the game, then good for you. If you're an aggressive player and you like to go after it like a Sabalenka or something like that, Mm -hmm. and you have your game plan and you're enjoying yourself, then good for you. But if the results are not what you want, then you're going to have to make changes. So it all depends on if the results are not yeah. what
1: he wants. Well, a couple of things. One, and, and I say this somewhat jokingly, I need someone like you or someone in analytics. Cause I feel like he tracking how many times he backs up, like his back, backward, were running backwards steps. When we would all think, Oh, he's coming to the net. He just retreats to the baseline. I feel like he leads the tour in that unofficial stat. The other thing too, and you brought up Sebulenka, it was running through my mind. When you said that the fact that both of them have major titles, maybe that's why they're like, I don't need to adjust. And you could say that it might sacrifice future success down the road, but the fact being, if his career ended today, he is a major champion, and I do think that might make him more hesitant to change anything.
0: I give him a pass <laughs> on this one because he did beat Djokovic in the 2021 mm-hmm. U.S. Open final. So he didn't really need to change until such time as right. it didn't work for him anymore.
1: Was that... So Yeah, was that... Yeah. Alcaraz matched, in your opinion, then more on Carlos's inability to succeed at the levels that we're used to, or did Medvedev raise his level and what he was strong at?
0: Medvedev himself said after the match, he was in the zone. And anyone who's ever played a sport any sport knows what it's like to be in the zone. It's not something that you can pre-plan and it's like holding water. It's elusive. So you can't then predetermine that you're going to do it again. So for whatever reason, he was relaxed. Everything was going right for him. Carlitos played, in my opinion, a bit of a one speed on the ground strokes. Um, which was hard. Mm -hmm. And that is pretty much right into Medvedev's wheelhouse. So Mm -hmm. um, it was on that night with that ball and those conditions, it was a bad matchup for Alcaraz. Mm -hmm. But waiting with bated breath to see what happens the next time those two guys meet.
1: We know Alcaraz makes adjustments. He's like AI. He just gets better and better. Um, It was really only one bad set. It was the second set. Set one was great it was you know I think five all in the tiebreaker or were getting close to that it was one mini break made the difference and you know I do think the conditions favor Medvedev and yeah he he had a good match that's why you know Carlos handles everything perfectly especially the media afterwards he understands that every loss can be a learning experience and looking at his future obviously he's 20 and he's got two majors and you know the path is there I keep saying this, though, and I don't want to sound crazy, but if he gets to like 10 or 12 majors and that's it, I don't want us to be like, oh, this is a failure. Because that is so many majors, and we're forecasting and projecting greatness on him because of who he's following. There's going to be ups and downs, even for someone as talented as him, as I keep coming back to. And just to put a bow on it, I do think he'll adjust in the next time he plays Medvedev, looking at a different outcome.
0: That is a great and interesting point, the accomplishments and the, the tallies, the Grand Slam tallies of the big three should not dog him for his entire career because we've, as the tennis viewing public and fandom, we've got to be able to enjoy what he has to offer in and of himself.
1: Certainly does. Um, and and something that we're going to file forward. Uh, any final thoughts on the men's side, stuff that stood out, you know, as we, I guess, look forward to what 2024 brings for Djokovic, Alcaraz, and uh, the rest of the tour?
0: I think you mentioned that in the women's game, we're getting a little bit more of a bunching of talent toward the top. I think, um, in the men's game, it's even more refined than that. So we're just talking about a handful of players who are two notches above everybody else right now. So mm-hmm. it'll be incumbent upon the guys who are ranked basically 5, 4 or 5 to mm-hmm. 75 to – come up with something else that the chess move is yours guys
1: if you had to know this isn't a bold take or prediction but outside of Djokovic and Alcaraz if you saw anybody else winning a major or getting close enough a finalist or whatever who would be the next closest to actually holding the trophy besides clearly the top two in the game
0: I would say Holger Runa but he's hurt right now and he's just sh- shaken up his entire coaching regime yeah but i think he's a fantastic athlete he's an all-court player an all-surface player and has a tremendous amount of upside
1: that's a good one just hope they don't put him on the court five or whatever uh and it's in his track yeah. to get there but and he
0: needs mitch he's got to get over that
1: yeah right well- he, it's the gift and curse, the curse, of being young, similar to Ben Shelton is the fact that he's young. He has this exuberance and, you know, there's maturity that's going to happen along the way. We hope, and I assume will happen, but it's also a good thing. He doesn't fear Alcaraz. They were peers together there. He's beaten him before. Like he knows he's just, it's weird when you're the same age as someone, they're just a guy to you. Like they're not, you know, even the older group sees him as this threat coming up, taking what's theirs. I don't think Holger fears Carlitos like that
0: no and he's beaten djokovic as well so i also give an honorable mention to ben shelton mm-hmm. um just love what he does on his serve uh let's see how he deals with becoming more well known in, in the tennis world
1: wrapping up on tennis channel inside in with amy Lundy. uh this has been fun uh two more things i wanted to get to one is the is the unfortunate serious side of things we saw the Simona Halep story break uh, yesterday as we record this, and they upheld the four-year ban for you know, a doping charge, essentially. One year's already been served, so it would be another full three years, which could be a career ender in all likelihood, given her age and the miles that she's put on. It will be going to arbitration, though, so we'll see how it gets resolved. But unfortunate, and another, another unfortunate circumstance involving drugs and sports, but also a player that, if she's telling the truth, is getting her livelihood taken. We'll see how it plays out again. No judgment here, but just an unfortunate situation all around that's marring the game.
0: Very difficult, very like gut punching news. I will say that as an American, and and I was a political science major, so I have a a certain knowledge of and and bias of the American system. In this country, you're innocent until proven guilty. And I think that's a pretty good standard. And I noticed when I read the statement that they had concluded that she had likely, very likely been doping. So um, unfortunately, The burden of proof is is on her right and and that is is seems a bit unfair but at the same time as you said uh we can't have doping we can't Mm -hmm. have cheating and we can't even have anything close to it
1: the only two things and that was well said the only two things i would add would be one it would be nicer to see the process sped up to get a resolution quicker and I know that there's external circumstances that I am certainly not privy to for why that might not be the case, but it would just maybe a wish, wishful thinking to speed it up. The other thing is there is a track record for this being reduced. Had Maya comes to mind, it was four years. They said it was an accident. They, they reviewed and said it was an accident. So it ended up being nine months. She uh, was obviously younger and resumed her career. So remains to be seen. We're going to wait till this plays out, but unfortunate that a couple time major champion, Simona Halep is still under suspension and the last thing, I, I had to bring this up because he's one of my favorites 20 years as well, but with the Davis Cup going on, Stan was taking a, a couple shots there at, uh, you know, maybe the person that's uh, been uh, sabotaging at the last couple of years, but Stan Warenka not too happy with how the Davis Cup's going. Gerard Piquet was part of the ownership group that kind of changed the format of it, and I don't know if you saw this, Amy, but it was getting a little snippy online.
0: Yeah, that's really tennis insidery stuff, <laughs> all the Davis Cup things. Um you know, PK being involved in it, he's not really a tennis guy. Um, I still I I know I'm, I'm maybe in the minority on this, but I still would like to see that event completely um, organized, not spread out so much. And um, the essence of the event where the fans uh, play the home, matches and the home fans can be there to root on their players um that essence of it kept and maybe some more you know really well fought out intimate settings um but you know frankly Mitch sometimes I get surprised (laughs) that the players care this much about it
1: (laughs) yeah maybe that's the good thing I, I think we all just love what the Davis Cup was we'd like to see it go back to that the home ties and the difference and you know for all the talk about you know, maybe loosening the, you know, loosening the belt a little bit for lack of a better metaphor on tennis and making it seem, you know, more casual, more rowdy at times. We saw that with the U S open, the Davis cup was that. So we'd like to see, you know, that environment come back and it is, I guess it's a good thing, right. That they care. So staying at his age, you know, just still going strong is fun to see. Well, Amy, this has been fun. I guess we're going to have to go through, you know, the ATP tour a couple months left year end finals and the WTA going to Cancun now. So, there's a resolution we didn't see coming either.
0: No, and I think it's a good resolution for right now as, as we wrestle with um, these heavy questions about who's going to be involved in the governing of this sport um but yeah i mean it would just be great like if this time next year maybe we were a little more organized Mm -hmm. and um based on some reporting from simon briggs and the telegraph (laughs) give him credit uh it looks like the two tours may be in talks to potentially merge so that would be a really exciting development that could bring um a lot of new prospects for this sport
1: Still some great tennis on the year. Amy Lundy, you'll be you know, tracking it all. We know that. Thank you for coming on Tennis Channel Inside and In. It's always a pleasure when we get to talk shop and uh, keep up the good work at Tennis Connected on the three podcasts and all the other platforms that you write and speak for. Thanks for coming on the show.
0: Thanks, Mitch. You keep up the good work too.
1: It's always a learning experience talking tennis with amy Lundy, so i appreciate the time she took yet again to come on tennis channel inside in now we transition from journalist to active player shelby rogers joins the show in studio one of the nicest players on either tour Shelby Rogers is in the studio to discuss, among other things, her broadcasting experience, getting this opportunity, how she's rehabbing her injury, and what she hopes to accomplish when she returns, what it was like playing that opening women's match on center court in front of a princess, in front of Roger Federer. We take a trip down memory lane. We also look forward, talk about her lightning fandom, and a lot more. Here's American Shelby Rogers on Tennis Channel Inside It. Welcome everybody to another episode of Tennis Channel Inside In on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Mitch Michaels from the Santa Monica Studios, as always, joined by a reoccurring guest on the show. It's been a few years, first time in person, not over the phone, and not in, I think, Madrid. Welcome back to the show, Shelby Rogers, an American tennis mainstay. It's good to talk to you again.
2: Thanks for having me. Has it really been that long?
1: Two years, yeah, because, and we'll get into it, it was, you were in... Spain you were in Europe and we were you know figuring out a time to talk and what I remember most about that was you just kept running into Ash Barty and you're like "Ah, I haven't beaten her I can't beat her I wonder (laughs) if I get a chance and you know lo and behold you did so we'll get to that but it's been a while Uh, you're here on the broadcast duty as well rehabbing an injury and figuring I think like a lot of people you know might as well get the tennis channel bump and you know get that good luck charm.
2: Yeah, definitely. I've always enjoyed commentating and analyzing matches from a different perspective and the team here at Tennis Channel is just really great. So I'm happy to be here for this week and see the Tennis Channel fam again.
1: Yeah, it's been, uh, it's been interesting. You were kind of one of the people that broke the mold in terms of Tennis Channel Broadcaster. Now it's like trendy to do it. You're seeing people that are, you know, doing it and winning matches and going on, but you were here first, so.
2: I appreciate you yeah. recognizing yeah. that. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> Well, first and foremost, uh, how have the last couple of months been health-wise? I know we talked a little before, but unfortunately, part of being a pro athlete is dealing with injuries, rehabbing it as well. How's it going post-Wimbledon getting back up to speed?
2: Yeah, it was definitely a long first half of the season for me. I had a few injuries coming out of Wimbledon, which was a fun experience for me. I got to play on center court for the first time against the defending champ in front of the Princess and Roger Federer. That was pretty crazy, Um, but definitely had to listen to my body a little bit. It was telling me to just slow down, take a little rest. Um, I did have to get surgery, so I've been rehabbing and just getting a little bit stronger every day.
1: He took the words out of my mouth. So you play Wimbledon and you're all excited center court. You know, you're playing the defending champs. You're going to get those honors. But what was, was it more shocking when Roger came out and it was just like everyone stopped or there's a prince? That's not the normal center court experience, even for the defending champ.
2: Definitely not. I actually tore my ab the Thursday before Wimbledon. And so I took a couple days. I hadn't seen the draw yet, not serving. And then I saw the draw and I was like, okay, I need to be like Wolverine and, (laughs) you know, heal up. The ab felt pretty good during the match. I thought I served actually really well there in the first set. And it was funny because when I saw the draw, I was like, Oh, this is kind of a dream come true. I've never played on center court at Wimbledon. This is going to be a lot of fun. And, the morning of the match, they came in to tell us about the schedule of, you know, when we would go down to enter center court and everything, and um, there'd been a rain delay. So not only is everyone on site watching our match, but she's telling me that Roger Federer is going to be honored you know, before our match and everybody's, you saw the video, everybody stood Mm -hmm. uh, like a standing ovation for 10 minutes or something. So we were a bit delayed for that. And then she told me the princess was going to be there. And I was like, okay, well I can't play this match. (laughs) I don't know what I'm supposed to do. It
1: was like a movie scene, like the way they shot it. And that's a good point. Nobody else was playing with the rain. So you guys are literally the only thing essentially going on and yeah roger just shows up with the princess it's like a scene out of a movie but you did bury the lead a little bit like you took robaka into the three sets so even with the torn ab you were out there and you know unfortunately that's part of it she's a great player you were a little hampered but it was a competitive match at least
2: it was no i'm super proud of you know the way i i at least fought and put a lot of effort into it um She definitely loosened up. You know, she was very nervous starting the match, as Mm -hmm. expected. That's fine. I think we both were. um, But it was a very cool experience. I just told myself before going on court... Soak it all in, Mm -hmm. you know, no matter how you're feeling, you're nervous. Try to enjoy this moment any way you can, winning or losing, whatever it is. Like, make sure you take a second to look around, Mm -hmm. enjoy the crowd, enjoy the noise. We could hear the rain (laughs) pouring down on the roof. I mean, just the contrast of, like, loud rain, loud cheers, and then just absolute silence during the points. All you could hear was the ball being struck. It It was pretty incredible.
1: The nerves is a good point, too, because, you know, you can be on the other side of that and you can, you know, Use that to your advantage when you play a top player who's battling against the nerves and having all this pressure. You were able to make that a competitive match, and I, I kind of segue backwards into what we talked about that U.S. Open match against Ash Barty. And I don't know. You realize you're the answer to a trivia question: the last person never beat Ash Barty. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so, but that match was a moment where you know you rise up, you beat her, you get that that big win over her in the U.S. Open. What was different about that match? Because you had been competitive with her in the past and you had been competitive with top players before. But what went right and what was different about that match that ultimately led you to prevail?
2: I mean, one of the main variables there is the crowd. I I was an American (laughs) playing in Arthur Ashe Stadium, which is the loudest court in the world. It was absolutely deafening. And I just feel like I had so much energy from them when I started coming back in the the third set there, you know, down a double break and just... I mean doing something unbelievable but I also feel like that night was super humid the balls were incredibly slow we couldn't do anything with the ball Mm -hmm. I mean we couldn't hit a winner we couldn't set up the points the way we wanted to. I actually started moonballing some. Like I mm-hmm. changed up the height, I changed up the pace, started playing a way that I usually wouldn't. Um kind of a Hail Mary, if you will, <laughs> you know, cuz yeah. I wasn't feeling the ball like I wanted to. So just trying to problem solve, and that's the beautiful thing about tennis. Yeah. There's a million ways to hit a tennis ball and win a point and win a match and so it's just what's going to work on that day.
1: I thought that uh, that's a good point also the fact that it wasn't a blowout match like it wasn't a match where she went away in the end it was tight all the way to that third set breaker where it was just back and forth Um, so was that just complete euphoria when the match was over did you even know I guess could you raise your arms is a better way to put it
2: oh yeah definitely the (laughs) racket went flying arms went in the air I just remember I think it was was it 6'5", I was serving, I believe. And mm-hmm. I remember thinking, if you've ever made a first serve in your life, this is the <laughs> one to make, you know, just yeah. go big wide right now. Yeah. Just go for broke. And, uh, yeah, it worked, celebrated. Yeah. I mean, the again, the noise was deafening, but it was really cool to be there as an American in Arthrash Stadium. It's definitely a moment that I'll never forget.
1: How did the phone come out? Was that just planned or did it just happenstance, the phone celebration where we were, I, sent, I don't know if it was a FaceTime or a selfie, but it, it was a It was just a, nice a video. I just
2: <laughs> wanted to remember that moment. Yeah. I mean, I've never played in a, a crowd like that before mm-hmm. so it's just kind of something for me I think I posted it after but every now and then I'll go yeah. back I'll I'll see the video pop up or you know how your iPhone will yeah. remind you of like remember <laughs> this day so yeah. those are kind of fun memories
1: it's almost like and I know you're uh, uh, I believe a, a whoop sponsored athlete too it's like hey you're you're a little too loud right now like calm down <laughs> it's like yeah sorry I'm winning the U.S. Open match right now and, and that match in particular I feel like it was the culmination of a lot of you know, hard work, like your year and your last couple of years. It's the first time we chatted, you were coming back from injury. It was a slow build. Rome is never built in a day for a tennis player. I think on the outside, we see these big wins, but it was right. Like a two year plus journey to get to that level where you could beat a great player.
2: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think for any athlete, right. It's, you always hear the phrase, trust the process. And that's beyond mm-hmm. true for anyone. You might get a couple good wins. Mm-hmm. You might have a bad string of losses, but you know, that can always turn around in, in one day, in one week. So you just got to keep your head down, trust the process, enjoy the journey, you know, all those Mm -hmm. cliche sayings, but they're true. I mean, the memories that we make along the way are really what it's all about and why we love this sport and why we love being on tour
1: you had a lot of people that were happy to see that win. I think it has a lot to do with your reputation as this like Southern Belle on the tennis tour. <laughs> you know, most, I mean, maybe, maybe one, there's only one incident I can think of where maybe that wasn't the case, which we can get to in a second. But no, I think that's part of it. I mean, there is, you're kind of in that, maybe I'd say like on board territory where even if you're not friends with everyone, everyone's just like, oh, there's Shelby, like we get along.
2: I feel like I'm friends <laughs> yeah. with most people. Yeah, yeah like for me, uh, if I'm not getting along and having fun with people in the locker room like it's just a really miserable week you know right. I have to enjoy myself I see these girls every week and a lot of them are really most of them are really great people like yeah. I enjoy being around these girls and seeing them all the time and I enjoy learning about them and um, I'm a psychology mm. major so mm-hmm. I just I just have an interest in people and yeah. I just love you know connecting and having relationships and great conversations all of that's really fun for me especially I mean even if we have to go up against each other and come Heat, it's okay to be friends too, mm-hmm. you know
1: yeah tennis is a different sport and sen- it's unique in the sense that you're sharing a locker room and, and you know you know these girls you travel with them you're going to see them around so no one would really want to get two out of pocket, you also warm up together. Like, could you imagine the Lightning and Panthers warming up together? Probably not going to (laughs) happen.
2: Yeah, it is very unique. We know a lot about each other. We share a lot of emotions and we walk around, you know, the player lounge and the tournaments. You have your last loss kind of plastered on your forehead. Your ranking's (laughs) kind of there for everyone to know. And there's not many secrets for sure, but you just, it it helps you to be comfortable with yourself and comfortable with what you're doing, I think. And um, yeah, you just own it and enjoy it.
1: And in that locker room, being a a regular member of it for so long, I get the sense, too, that you don't, I mean, there's great players, there's Hall of Fame players on both tours, but to you, it's just the peer. Like, it's just someone you see around the locker room, not what us or the fans of the media even see.
2: Yeah, I think so. And I wouldn't really consider myself someone that gets, like, starstruck, um, even, you know, with the ATP players Mm -hmm. or other athletes or just because I've been fortunate enough to get to know a lot of athletes mm-hmm. or um very successful people at what they do and everybody's just yeah you know more or less normal like they just happen to be good at what they do and they've worked really hard and they um are very talented at something so it's just fun for me to get to know people and how they get to where they are
1: Was there ever a star like non-tennis player maybe someone at a match i guess maybe the princess or at the U.S. Open, anybody in the entertainment industry that would kind of start sh- make you starstruck a little bit? No,
2: honestly, the <laughs> toughest moment for me was the first time I encountered Roger Federer. Like he's the <laughs> only time I've ever yeah. just been like, oh my goodness, <laughs> and that that was quite a few years ago. Yeah. You know, one of my first few years on tour. But uh, yeah, he would be kind of the only one.
1: Well, it's uh you know, and getting up there with anything is you know you don't have your pioneer, your your legend that you looked up to aren't playing unfortunately anymore. So that's part of it, and as great as these generations are you're always going to be starstruck at the people that you idolize as a kid that's just how it is these american tennis generations though and I, and i bring it back to that because on the women's side you're part of a class of very successful ladies that followed another class of americans and now you have the coco golf class coming up so it seems like it, it seems good in a way because in a very tennis and american tennis way everyone's kind of rooting and pushing each other further and getting better as a result
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's such an honor to be a part of that group to even be mentioned with those other names Um, because for me growing up, I did look up to the other American women, you know, the Jennifer Capriottis. And so I think it's important for us to kind of do the same thing for the next generation. And I mm-hmm. think each generation sort of wants to to keep pushing the bar and keep inspiring the next one.
1: Yeah, and you look at someone like Coco Wynn, it's like, I mean, we knew this was going to happen. There's not a lot of weaknesses there. And at 19, I mean, especially for your perspective, it's like, wow, 19, this is a pretty high level complete player.
2: Oh, it's awesome. And to see how she's <laughs> yeah. just grown and matured as a person as well off the court, like not only her tennis game, is just there's so much room for improvement there, but her as a person is just really inspiring too because she really values being a great person and Mm -hmm. has great morals and just you know she has a very charismatic personality and she seems to be handling everything really well
1: she has a lot of faith in a lot of things and uh, i really appreciate that as well so we love to see it um more with Shelby Rogers here on Tennis Channel Inside In. We did, you know, we did say goodbye to some players recently, or in the process of saying goodbye, and that's part of you know getting older and growing. Some up.
2: players, I feel like half the tour <laughs> retired right, like, this <laughs> year. I don't know if it's just me, and like maybe no, they're is. my friends or you know people I know, yeah. but I'm like, oh, so many people are retiring. Yeah,
1: it's it's been crazy. I know the American front, Isner, then obviously Coco Vandway, who's finishing up in San Diego right now. There's a lot of other names and more names to come is how this works. But I wanted to know if you had any Intel, cause I know you and Coco were friends. I need Coco Vandaway stories.
2: Oh, I've got stories <laughs> for you days. you on here. For sure. But I mean, the most yeah. recent one, like it was really nice to be in New York. She had a little retirement mm-hmm. ceremony there. They played a video in Arthur Ashe Stadium. I think they did for Jack, Jack Sock as well. Mm-hmm. And it was just fun to be there with her. She was in the President's Box and then came down after. We had a little get-together mm-hmm. outside in the Players' Grass area and celebrated a little yeah. bit with pictures and, you know, toast. And we all just kind of sat around talking about her career. It was just yeah. really nice to recognize her and, and the career that she's had. Had and, um, she's always been a great friend to me and just a great person off the court. So I appreciate that.
1: Yeah. I saw Jan, Michael Gamble is there too. He's been on this show a bunch and, uh, enjoyed it as well. Uh, no, Coco's great. We did a podcast together years ago and, uh, I'll tell this story. She's just answers the call and was driving. I'm like, we can do this. She's like, no, I got it. Yeah. So we did the whole show while she's literally driving. and saying, Very go. casual, go casual, with the casual, flow. Casual, like perfect, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there's a couple other things I wanted to get to. Uh, another person that's stepping down, and I bring her up because I know she's meant a lot to you, but no longer uh, after this year coaching the uh, Billie Jean King Cup, Kathy Rinaldi. And uh, I know there was that interview where you said when you got picked to be on that team in 2017, it was like a tearful moment, like just to represent your country and get that opportunity and then win the whole thing. Had to be something.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, it was a dream come true. I have so much pride playing for the red, white, and blue. And when she called me, (laughs) Kathy's the only captain I've ever played under because that was my first tie, my first (laughs) year playing. And to just be able to get the win with her first year, my first year, and so many great memories throughout, um, it was unforgettable. Really special (laughs) for, for all of us.
1: Yeah, her ability to be a matchmaker too, I guess what I've heard on and off the court and picking these doubles teams that just McNally and Townsend go to the final, it's a uh it's the Midas touch in a way. So
2: yeah, definitely. Even in the final, like Coco and I playing together, that wasn't the plan from the beginning, and it was kind of a last minute thing. And I remember her telling me, "Okay, you're gonna go in. Like you got to clinch this thing for us." And <laughs> I yeah. just kind of went in the in the bathroom and looked myself in the mirror, like, "All right, you got to do this thing. Let's go."
1: That was Belarus, right? That was it where was. It was. yeah. That was crazy. That was such an epic final. And that was also I I saw Sebalyanka for the first time. Like, who is this? Yeah, <laughs> like, it's just like out of nowhere. Um, kind of getting back to your career, I know there's, you know, you've had a lot of these moments, you've been ranked in the top 30, you're getting the opportunity to make an impact and have moments in front of the American crowd. Do you feel though pressure to get that first title? Like, is it something that weighs on you or do you just not really think about it?
2: Uh, not so much for me. Obviously I have goals that I want to achieve. Um, even past winning a title, you know, ranking goals and performance goals but I feel like for me, my career, I'm really proud of a lot of things I've done already. Of course, I want to achieve more. But if I don't, I'm still going to be proud of my <laughs> yeah, career. Yeah, yeah. And I know a lot of other people, you know, count those things. But yeah, for me, I don't really put pressure on myself for like, oh, my gosh, I'm running out of time. If I don't win a title, I'm such a failure. I mean, that's just ridiculous, you know. Right. So I try to take it with a grain of salt, and, you know, I just go out, give my best effort, do the best I can, and that's all I can do.
1: Right, the finish line isn't in sight, and we've seen, I think, the best thing. I mean, the guy who just won the U.S. Open for the fourth time is 36, playing some of his best tennis. And while he might be a freak, there's a lot of people playing their best tennis and breaking through later. So it's good to see, and it's also good to see a lot of these Americans like yourself, Jen Brady, people coming back. We even saw it with Sloan when her, when her major title where an injury isn't a death sentence for a career.
2: Oh, absolutely not. And I just want to share, I read um, this article that Andy Roddick did not too long ago, yeah. like a couple of weeks ago, yeah. and he was talking about how, you know, he'd won the U.S. Open and he'd had 30 something titles outside of that. But all anyone talked about was him not winning another Grand Slam. He's like, it didn't matter how many other titles mm-hmm. I won, how big those titles were. Nobody cared. It was just that I'd never won another Grand Slam. And so just speaking to the the fact of not winning titles, like it's never enough for right. anyone else. So you've just got to be so content with who you are mm-hmm. and. So with your identity Mm -hmm. um and that's a big part where like my christian faith comes in Is like i'm really content with my identity outside of tennis so the wins and losses don't change like my value as a person right you know so but it's really tough for athletes where like all people ever talk about is like what you haven't done pretty much (laughs) so it's it's just keeping it in perspective and and picking out the the parts of your career and the parts of your journey you want to focus on.
1: It's a great perspective to not tie your existence to winning and then also just still appreciate the joy of competing and being out there, which is why I bring up last year's match in Charleston because that was some pretty testy competition. I like that match with Benchitz and I know it got a little heated, but that was the first time I think a lot of us saw that side publicly. And I'm in the camp of, look, it's competitive out there. You know, you might, you're not out there to be friends. And I don't think it was anything more than that but that match was you know a little testy
2: yeah I mean I've always had a battle with Benchich on the court um especially playing in Charleston I really want to win there and she played unbelievable and she neither one of us were going to give up in that match you (laughs) know so going deep in the third set is always always a fun battle but she's a great girl and um yeah we we always (laughs) know it's going to be tough when we're out there on the court
1: yeah, that was right on the heels of, I think, Pagoua was like, I, was, I would like more trash talking in tennis, and Tiafa was like, I agree, and then, you know, a week after, but that happened. I think it's good to see, and we saw it with Djokovic and Ben Shelton, too, like, it's cool to see these interactions where players care out there, and also knowing that, look, it's competition, we leave it all out there, nothing personal, we're just out here to do battle.
2: Yeah, for sure. And you see a lot of players that act a lot different on the court compared to what they are off court, but that's with any sport. Mm-hmm. And you want the, the athlete to bring the most passion, mm-hmm. the most hard, the most effort that they can. So I think yeah. um, if they're leaving it all out there on the court, we have to appreciate that.
1: It was great to see. And, uh, you know, looking at kind of what Charleston's meant to you, and I, I keep coming back that this, you had the opportunity to play a home tournament, a big home tournament every year assuming health-wise, in your hometown is pretty crazy. It's a unique and special experience that most players don't have.
2: Absolutely. I'm so fortunate to have that tournament there. I mean, I've I've been going on the ground since I was seven years old, and just the memories I have there to have it come full circle where I'm, you know, a ball girl on center court to then playing and winning matches mm-hmm. on center court. It's just really cool and um, a big reason why I cherish the game of tennis so much, and, mm-hmm. and I just owe it a lot because it's given me so much throughout my life.
1: Yeah. It, it has, and you've given a lot back to it. I want to wrap this up with some of the fun stuff. You know, Obviously, the Tampa Bay Lightning have to get brought up in the same sentence as you. You had the glory run of two, almost three in a row. And also, I've noticed using your status now as kind of a known commodity in the tennis world to get to, you know, get to be honored, meet some of the players, and get down there lower. I think it's, it's good, and I know that that love of hockey is genuine because you tweet about them all the time.
2: Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I mean, I grew up watching um, hockey in Charleston. We we don't have an NHL team, but we have the Stingrays, and oh, it's yeah. just it's <laughs> so much fun. The president called me the other day and was asking, you know, if I could go to to one of these games, and it's just awesome. To I think it's one of the best sports live. Mm-hmm. It's so fast. It's so energetic, and again, the players are so passionate and loyal and it really, um, it's a lot different obviously because I, I don't know too much about team sports, but it's fun to watch just how they all interact and they all kind of act like brothers and, yeah. you know, look out for one another.
1: Yeah. And I've noticed too, I think you brought this up. There's some rivalry. There's some super fans of different teams. You had Isner Carolina, <laughs> you've had, I think a coach or a coach for a Chicago fan as well. So yeah, it's competitive out there. What's it like watching a finals game though? Because you got that first taste of being an adult watching that level. It's just got to be too much.
2: Yeah, it's another level. I mean, the stadiums are so loud. The fans are so passionate. And the players, they just all have this chip on their shoulder, you know. its I mean, the Stanley Cup, they say, is the hardest trophy to win in sports. And I I don't skate. I haven't been on the (laughs) ice, but I might tend to agree.
1: Well, getting to kind of what we're here at now, the broadcasting level, how has it been? I mean, you've had a couple nights of just the full slate. And as we were talking about earlier... It's a little different from your perspective when there's not, uh, you know, when there's a rain delay and you're on the broadcast side, not a player waiting to play a match. So how's it been calling matches with, of course, the one and only Chanda Rubin broadcasting with her helps too.
2: Yeah, Monday, I definitely was thrown into the deep end day one on site. I've done, you know, Tennis Channel on site at tournaments in the booth, um, sorry, at the desk, but. Uh, Monday, yeah, rain delay, we were here till after midnight, and then I had training uh, early in the morning the next day, <laughs> yeah, so I was yeah. like, okay, well, that maybe was my fault scheduling it that way, but it's been so much fun. Chanda makes it really easy and is super helpful, um, you know, setting me up really well and and teaching me a lot. Already in three days, I've learned so much, and I think it helps to analyzing matches from this perspective when you go back out to play Mm -hmm. because you're not only staying involved in what's been happening, you know, you're up to date with everything, but you're pretty much just doing scouting the whole time. Right. (laughs) And and you're understanding different tactics and understanding, um, you know, the game of tennis from a little bit different way. So it's awesome.
1: Yeah. And you're in that sweet spot too, of still very much active on tour, had the experience and now going to use a lot of this too. So it's fun. And it's I definitely. Think, but yeah. I
2: have to watch what I say too. I don't want, you <laughs> yeah. know, the the players hearing some of my comments and getting a little offended that's, or see, something. That's the, that's the <laughs> other side
1: of it is now it's not as easy as it looks. And there were, I think it was Pekovic said that, like Andrea said, now I understand why people, you know, it's tough because as a broadcaster, you're, you are giving, giving a fair analysis. You don't mean anything by it. But if you just take that clip, it doesn't sound great all the time.
2: Absolutely. <laughs> Please don't take any of my words out of context. <laughs> I'm just trying to do the best I can.
1: <laughs> also wanted to say, too, congratulations on the engagement. Everything. Thank you. Um, hockey guy as well. So I know that the love of hockey runs deep. So that's <laughs> that's
2: right. Yeah, we're very excited planning a wedding and uh, just another chapter of my life to get excited for.
1: Still a lot going strong. Uh, Shelby Rogers, it's been a blast on Tennis Channel Insight. And the very last thing, what are some of those incremental goals you're looking forward to whenever the comeback comes? What's the first couple steps look like on your return to tennis, what you're trying to accomplish?
2: The first couple steps are staying healthy, you know, just taking care of my body, making sure I come back the right way in a smart way, not too early, not, uh, you know, too aggressively. Um, And then I think scheduling smart is really important. And then just getting back, you know, to a a competitive level is what what I'm looking forward to most just competing playing matches again I miss that feeling so much
1: the competitive fire don't let the niceties fool you there's some real competitive (laughs) fire in there well Shelby it's always a blast to do a podcast together thanks for coming back on the show best of luck not only on your return to tour but calling these matches and working for the TC family and uh, always a blast thanks for talking tennis thank you Thanks to both fantastic guests on this week's episode of Tennis Channel Inside In, Amy Lundy and Shelby Rogers. Both were terrific and both were very generous with their time. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to them. Hope we get to do it again. Tennis Channel Inside In is on the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. You can go to tennis.com slash podcast to see the entire catalog of our shows. If you like Inside In, Tennis Channel Inside In is on all your podcast platforms. Go to Spotify, go to Apple, Amazon Music, iHeart, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. Search Tennis Channel Inside In, subscribe to have every episode automatically downloaded to your listening device. It's that simple. Inside In is back next week. The show keeps going on every Thursday with new and exciting content. So be on the lookout for next week's episode. For Amy Lundy and Shelby Rogers, my name is Mitch Michaels. Thank you for listening to Tennis Channel Inside In.